Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of February 10, 2019. The following announcement appeared on ACB Leadership and announced yesterday and is truly good news. ACB joins all of its U.S. partner organizations in celebrating the final diplomatic step for the ratification of the Marrakesh Treaty with the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO, in Geneva, Switzerland, on February 8, 2019. ACB President Kim Charlson is a member of the Board of Directors of the Accessible Books Consortium, the WIPO entity working on implementation of the Marrakesh Treaty with the 50 member countries. She is also working with the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped with the Library of Congress in planning for the implementation of the treaty in the U.S. The formal announcement is as follows. United States of America joins WIPO's Marrakesh Treaty as 50th member. The World Intellectual Property Organization issued a statement on February 8, 2019, from its headquarters in Geneva, announcing that the United States has become the 50th member of the Marrakesh Treaty. Because the European Union comprises 28 states, the number of countries now adhering to the treaty comes to 78. The official notification ratification document from Washington, signed by Donald Trump, has been accepted by World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO, Director Francis Gurry, with Mark Kassayer, the Chargé d'Affaires for the American Mission to the United Nations installation in Geneva. And with that, as many as 550,000 accessible texts have become immediately available to visually impaired people in the countries that have signed the treaty. The treaty is designed to facilitate access to published works for people who are blind, visually impaired, or otherwise print disabled by creating a universal copyright exception that will allow authorized parties to travel accessible formats to appropriate consumers. Quote, the Marrakesh Treaty is WIPO's fastest growing treaty, and we hope it becomes a universal one soon, so visually impaired people in every corner of the globe can more easily benefit from learning and culture no matter where it is created, said Mr. Gurry. The U.S. already houses the world's largest repository of accessible English language material, representing a major increase in the global resource base for visually impaired people living in countries that have joined the Marrakesh Treaty. End of quote. And another quote is, I'm proud of American leadership and the USPTO's efforts in the negotiation of the Marrakesh Treaty and the opportunities that our ratification creates for the blind and visually impaired community in the United States and around the world, said Andre Einku, Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property and Director of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, USPTO. This treaty establishes an important mechanism 
to both protect intellectual property rights and expand access to information and resources. End of quote. Another quote, We pause to celebrate this moment as the United States formally joins the Marrakesh Treaty, said Maria A. Palante, President and CEO of the Association for American Publishers. Having worked so tirelessly with so many talented partners to realize a better legal framework for accessible formats, publishers now salute the many readers throughout the world who are blind, visually impaired, and otherwise live with print disabilities. Congratulations and happy reading. End of quote. The United States' formal membership in the Marrakesh Treaty marks a major achievement for our country and a significant positive step forward for the millions of persons who are blind and visually impaired throughout the world, said Karen A. Temple, Acting Register of Copyrights and Director of the United States Copyright Office. The United States will now join our fellow nations in promoting greater accessibility to print materials around the globe. Information about the Marrakesh Treaty is available at the WIPO website, and the documents, including a summary, are available online as well. They include versions in Braille, full audio, and DAISY format. A list of the countries now participating in the Marrakesh Treaty is also found on the WIPO website at wipo.int. And then, with some not-so-good news, comes the following post on ACB Leadership from Donna Pomerantz. This was posted early Saturday morning, February 9. Donna says, Please keep Mitch in your thoughts and prayers during this huge time of uncertainty for us. Very late last night or early this morning, Mitch had emergency brain surgery to remove blood that was putting pressure on his brain. The surgery went well, and it was successful, thank God. He is now on a ventilator and is heavily sedated for recovery. We are praying for a positive outcome, and now it is all about waiting for Mitch's body to heal toward full recovery. Please keep Mitch in your thoughts and prayers for peace, strength, and healing. Thank you in advance for lifting him up during this time of so much waiting and uncertainty. Mitch Pomerantz is the immediate past president of the American Council of the Blind, and we will truly miss him at the ACB Mid-Year Meeting. We wish you all the best, Mitch, in your recovery. One of the questions often asked this time of year is what are ACB's main legislative issues and imperatives for the upcoming Congress? One issue that has been on the list for many years, the Marrakesh Treaty, is now complete. Issues taking center stage at this year's ACB Legislative Seminar and Training and visit to Capitol Hill include Medicare coverage for low vision devices, accessibility of medical devices of benefit to blind and visually impaired diabetics, and rules and regulations surrounding the development and implementation of autonomous vehicles. Claire Stanley from the Alexandria, Virginia ACB National Office joins us on page two for a very interesting discussion that helps us understand each issue. Page three contains four news items that have been posted this past week. Read an announcement 
from ACB and the World Blind Union giving the results of an international survey on the availability of audio description in 69 countries. Then there's news about a play written by a senior at the Kentucky School for the Blind that will be performed at Actors Theater of Louisville in April. Next we learn that new emoji depicting a range of disabilities are now officially available for use in communication and expression on the internet. And finally, we hear about a very special Super Bowl party that took place at the Perkins School for the Blind in Watertown, Massachusetts. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. It's getting near time for the ACB mid-year meeting again. It's coming up at the end of February. And with that comes the legislative seminar and the imperatives that we um, are talking about this year and the things we're going to be discussing with our senators and representatives on Capitol Hill as part of that mid-year meeting. And with me on the phone today is Claire Stanley. She is ACB's advocacy and outreach specialist in our Alexandria office. And Claire, we're so glad to have you. We're going to be talking about those imperatives. So welcome to Soundprints. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Claire, I'll let you tell us about the the, the imperatives. There are three. And yes, there are three. you can take them in whatever order you want. But um, let's just, just take one. We'll chat about it a little bit, and then we'll move on to the next one. So where would you like to begin? Um, well, let me just read all three really quickly, and then we can start at the top. So the three imperatives this year are talking about autonomous vehicles. Um, the second one is talking about low vision resources um, through Medicare insurance. And the last one is kind of a big topic, but talking about resources for persons who have di uh, diabetes and things like accessible glucometers. Yeah, those are great topics because um, topic – well, topic one is just, it, that's that's one that I think uh, most people, there are some people who aren't really very enthusiastic at all about autonomous vehicles, but uh, they are coming and they're, they, they offer some great opportunities for blind oh, people in yeah. transportation. Definitely. Yes. And then imperatives two and three, we're talking about issues that re relate to people with low vision. And then the uh, talking glucometers and so on in, in imperative three, that yeah. that's a huge thing with the, uh, with, yeah, with the widespread, um, with, with, the, with how widely spread diabetes is today. So, yeah. okay, so why don't we start with, with number one, with the autonomous mm -hmm. vehicles, and let's just talk about what we're going to be asking for and Maybe give people a little background. For sure. Um, so I'm sure people um, are familiar with the idea of an autonomous vehicle, um, but if they're not, taking a step you know, even further back, um, companies like General Motors and all the big names really out there are starting to develop um, what we call autonomous vehicles, or AV for short. And these are cars that drive themselves, basically. Um, you don't need, I think a lot of the models don't even have steering wheels because there's just no need for them. Um, they can drive themselves. And so we're talking about in the blind community because as a result, that means we could potentially drive our own car one day um, because you don't have to drive it. You don't have to be able to see to use it, um, things like that. So it's really exciting. Um, so that's kind of the, the background of what an autonomous vehicle is. And so we want to talk about it um, when we go up onto the hill because 
there's been some push for some legislation just this past fall in uh, the fall of 2018 um, through what they called the AV Start Act. And unfortunately, it, um, it looked like it might get somewhere, but it didn't. Um, so in November, it was promoted and went to Congress, but it just didn't get any traction. Um, and so it didn't make it through. So we're really hoping that it'll be um, represented um, now in the 116th Congress. We want um, the the Senate, the senators and the reps to uh, bring it back up and hopefully get some traction again out there. And what does this act, as far as we are concerned, what would this act do that would be beneficial to us? Or what does it not do that we need to encourage um, that, certain provisions be added to it. So the thing with autonomous vehicles is it's such a new frontier that we're trying to look at what the regulations would look like, right? You have this brand new, I'll call it a toy for lack of a better word, oh, yeah. uh, but there are no regulations um, that cover how they're supposed to be handled, um, who can drive them. For instance, a lot of states still think you need to have a license to drive them. Well, we're saying, well, why do you need a license? Um, so that's one reason it would negatively impact the blind community. And a lot of states are starting to develop their own laws and policies. And so this law as at the federal level would preempt all those state laws and say, nope, this is what um, the policies are going to look like. And so that's one reason we want to support it. We want to make sure that this overarching federal law will have positive implications for the blind community. It also really opens the door for autonomous vehicles because embedded in the law in the AV Start Act is a lot of new development on research for autonomous vehicles, um, a lot of um, development of committees um, to really start looking at the positive implications, the safety implications, um, all kinds of different things. I was just reading through the policies before we started talking. Um, so again, kind of the two big things are it um, preempts those state laws so we can come together with a consensus at the federal level, um, and then it also opens the door for all kinds of research um, and collaboration to really take a huge step forward on what autonomous vehicles will look like. Claire, we're recording this on Tuesday, February 5, and just yesterday, there was a headline, of course, there's been several headlines recently about General Motors closing some of its plants and laying off some of its people. And um, it, the one of the headlines that related to that just yesterday went a step further and said they're doing this, they're laying off some people and closing plants in the United States and plant, a plant in Canada and so on, but that they are planning to... Um, rehire a number of the people and some of the contractors and so on because uh, they are not just shrinking. They plan to put more of their resources and energy toward autonomous vehicles. And they, they I thought they made an excellent presentation last summer at the ACB convention in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's just really interesting that here we have one of the major names in in cars um, and, and not not a a new name in the field as as are some of the names that are that we're beginning to hear or names that haven't been um, you know they haven't had models that have been uh, just everyday 
names around mm -hmm. the the automobile industry. But here we have an an everyday name from from yeah. many years, and they are changing their focus to autonomous vehicles. And I think yeah. that that's a huge thing. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for them to happen. It's really <laughs> exciting. Right. Um, one of the one of the General Motor um, employees who works in this area, her name is Reagan Payne, and she'll actually be presenting at the legislative seminar to talk about what GM is doing and kind of the focus on policy on GM's um, behalf. So, yeah, we're even going to have somebody directly from GM presenting at the legislative seminar. So it's a great, it's a great new frontier, and we have a great growing relationship with GM. When, because uh, I don't think it's if, I think it's when, all, all of this happens, and we can just walk out our door and get in that car and go where and when we want. We'll be really neat. And yeah, I, I mean, we, we're approaching it now with Uber and Lyft because, you know, it, it's a long wait if you have 10 mm -hmm. minutes to wait for your ride, uh, at least here. Uh, I don't know how it, how it is there. Um, but they've Uber and Lyft give us freedom that we haven't yeah. had before because we don't have to wait and wonder if the cab is going to show up or wait around for the paratransit and have to ride an hour and a half all over town or, yeah. or whatever. Yes, it's it's a little more pricey, but, um, but you know, if, if, if you owned a car, it would be pricey as well. So, um, you know, those options are, are, are not over and above the cost of owning a car, um, I guess depending on how much you go. I go quite a bit, but I still don't spend enough to yeah. own a car. <laughs> and a lot of the companies like GM and what have you, they're kind of looking at this intermediary step yes. first where it would be great one day to own our car, but even before that they're looking at the ride-sharing model. So yes. It will be just like Uber or Lyft but without a driver. And think about all the positive implications there, you know. You don't have a driver who's going to not want your guide dog in the car because there's no driver or things like that. Um, so kind of this great intermediary step, too, where we'll have the ride sharing, um, but it will be an autonomous vehicle. You know, if you want to ride at 3 in the morning, you don't have to, you know, be dependent on whether an Uber driver is out at 3 in the morning because the car doesn't need any sleep. Um, so all kinds of positive implications there as well. Well, that's very true. And... Um it, it's there. There are some questions that uh, that really do need to be addressed, and I'm sure that uh, ACB is going to be looking to have some of those things talked about as as the times go on. Um, things like how we know when we're at our location, or how how we make sure that the right location is even entered. Uh, and, and the cars go in the right place. Yeah. Um, how we know when it's arrived? It's not. It's sitting out in a, a busy parking lot, and there we are. And and all of those things, we said, well, we can't do those. We can't. We won't be able to tell. Well, I think yes, we will, because mm -hmm. because there will be are... yeah, there'll be systems developed to go along with and... that. 
Yeah, I can tell you those are all different concerns that have been brought up in meetings that I'm in. And, you know, please let us know, continuing what issues you mm -hmm. might think will arise. But all those things have been brought up. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, the engineers are constantly thinking of them. We're bringing them to a table. So, yeah, those kinds of right. things are definitely being thought of. So. Right. Well, so it's a wonderful area to, to be um, – to be thinking about it, it's exciting possibilities and it's that's going to be a great imperative and look forward to the presentations at the at the mid-year let's move to option two we've had this imperative on the uh, low vision devices the the medicare um for medicare to allow the purchase of low vision devices uh, we had that last year and I think we had it the year before. Um, this is a good example. People say, well, we've already been there. We've done that. Um, if you've been around the advocacy world very long at all, you know that it sometimes takes, it takes more than two or three years to get something done. You almost have to get people in Congress used to the idea. And, and then... Um, it's not just telling them this is important. It's getting them used to what this is going to do, how it's going to work. Um, and you can have all of the great and wonderful uh, ideas and, and reasons and so on in the world, but it takes time. The CVAA is a great example of that. There's parts of that yeah. CVA that we were talking about forever. And finally, it it happened, and yeah. this is sort of the same thing. So tell us about these low-vision, durable medical equipment provisions that we want in the that are related to Medicare. Yeah, um, so I just want to say up front, too, I think you worded that perfectly. That's exactly, um, exactly how um, we're thinking about it, and it should be thought of. Um, so the low-vision devices is kind of like you had started to mention, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are already familiar with because it's an ongoing issue. Um, but under Medicare and receiving um, these um, products through insurance, um, uh, different low-vision devices, um, the definition describes them as anything with a, using a lens, at least one or more. Um, so at everything but glasses, traditional eyeglasses don't count, but anything else, so any type of magnification glass, um, CCTVs, um, monoculars, et cetera, et cetera. We know I always call them toys. There's so many different toys out there. <laughs> um, but any of those kinds of products, they're not covered under Medicare. They're not considered durable medical devices. Um, when we say dur durable medical devices, we um, the definition often looks at things like uh, canes for people who use canes, walkers, wheelchairs, things like that. Um, so any type of low vision device that uses some kind of lens, they're not considered um, a durable medical device. Well, we know that those kinds of devices cost a lot of money, unfortunately, yes. and they're not covered. And so this push through the low vision promotion of this uh, law would be to say, wait a second, we need to change the definition and we need to get these covered. Um, so it's trying to bring that to light and say, you know, these are going to really benefit this community of people with low vision 
um, to have these resources they need to be independent um, so they can do you know everyday tasks that they need to do um, but just because of the way the, the definition was written in the past they don't fall under that criteria um, so this like you said it's been going on for years and we continue to advocate for it um, because it's something that's really important and so even though I'm sure some people are saying oh we're talking about that again um, like you said it's just so important to talk about it over and over again because it's still a really important issue to discuss um, and something that we're not going to just be quiet about because it's still a great need. The length of time that it takes to get something to happen. Another good example of that is Marrakesh and how many times mm -hmm. we have yeah. been to the Hill over the years talking about Marrakesh. And this year we're not talking about it because it's done. With the low vision devices, this is another thing that we're going to be talking about until it's done. Yeah. And and I I believe that there will be a time down the road when it is done, but um, we can't predict when that's going to happen. And in a perfect world, it would have already happened. But yeah. the world isn't perfect, and um, obviously Congress isn't perfect. And it's not just Congress in this case, um, because the... Uh, the, the Medicare, the people who figure out what Medicare is going to be doing or what it isn't mm -hmm. doing, it, you know, they've got to understand the, the need for this, too. And so that when Congress says, okay, you know, this is what we, we would like to do, and there are people in Congress that, that um, would be interested in this, but if they're getting... A lot of negativity out of Medicare. Oh no, we don't. We can't open up this can of worms with lenses, because we're afraid that's going to mean we have to buy every pair of glasses that somebody wants, and it would be such an expensive undertaking. Um, you know, we, we've we've got to overcome those hurdles, and I'm sure we will. But yeah. that takes time. And it's not something you can just get up one day and go up on the hill and say, oh, this just makes so much sense. And yes, it does. But all of the implications, all of the costs, you know, we, we have to answer all of those objections, just like with yeah. anything else. Yeah. And so what we're really doing here is, is answering the objections and saying, here's how we can do it. Are we asking this year, are we still asking for this to be a demonstration project? Or are we asking for this just to become the you know the the way things are done we are asking for it to be the way things you know are done that we can develop this this law or mm -hmm. i shouldn't even say develop a new law it's not developing a new law right. but making this amendment right um that cms center for medicare and medicaid mm -hmm. um services would recognize um mm -hmm. these devices as something that should be covered and we had started out with this as a demonstration project uh, a couple of years ago who knows i mean we might have to go back to that again to in order to get it in order yeah. to get it done but exactly. it's, it's always trying different things right um, but like you said just continuing to to make noise about it yes. for lack of a better way to say it. you know that we're not saying we're giving up that it's still an ongoing issue right. I was reading one of um, the prior um, uh, backgrounders that Tony Stevens had drafted for past years and he made a really good point that um, it, you know, of course, CMS is going to say, oh, it's expensive to give out these or pay for these kinds of devices, I should say. But we always see, and it always seems this way, that if you compare prices between just 
providing the resources up front, the, again, the toys, as I call them, um, it's going to, you know, initially it seems more expensive, but when you compare it to people not being able to work because they don't have a CCTV or, you know, things like that, you know, you always see the financial um, production rates, you know, come back that, yes, it's expensive to pay for things, but the return is always so much better. Um, so I thought that was a really great point that Tony had made. It's a super point. Um, we have a low vision group here that meets the second and fourth Thursday of each month. And the people who come to that group, they're trying to they're trying to learn to how to be independent, continue to be independent as they lose their vision. And these devices are so closely tied to their ability to be independent. As, exactly. as people who have been sighted lose their vision, they do they they sometimes just don't know how to make those modifications that will will help them to continue to do whatever task it is that exactly. they want to do. And sometimes they're afraid to try. Yeah. So this is so important to that group of people, and that's the majority of people with low vision in this country today is that exactly. group of people. Yep, exactly. That's the second imperative. Mm -hmm. And the third imperative is, I think it's new this year, isn't it? It is, and it's kind of, I don't want to use the word amorphous because that's not totally correct, but it's, it's a big thing and it's continuing to evolve as we look into all the different um, implications that come from it. So kind of starting from the beginning, um, we're looking at resources for people who are diabetic. And statistically in the United States, the leading cause of blindness or visual impairment is from diabetic retinopathy. So a lot of people who are diabetic are losing their vision. Yet, for some strange reason, a lot of the different devices that persons need to um, deal with their diabetes, control their diabetes, aren't accessible. Um, and I apologize to any of our listeners if I misspeak because I, I don't have diabetes. Um, but things like glucometers to measure your um, blood sugar level um, aren't accessible. Um, and, I mean, there are all these new kinds of toys out there. Um, people might have heard the commercials for the new Libre device. Um, and it's something that you put on your skin and for two weeks, and it'll read your levels right away and send it to an app on your phone. How cool is that? That's like true 21st century technology, but it's not 100% accessible. So looking at all kinds of different devices out there that either read your blood sugar or um, uh, div uh, give you the insulin back into your body, and so many of these products aren't accessible for blind users. And we're saying that's kind of silly because when you think about it, a huge fraction of the people in the United States with diabetes are blind or visually impaired because of the connection between the two. So there's kind of this mismatch between a huge part of your, you know, your customers have diabetes, yet you're not making your products accessible for those people. So trying to advocate to both the companies who produce these products and then also CMS again because a lot of these people are using Medicare insurance is trying to say to them, hello, you have to provide services that are going to um, be successful in helping people manage their diabetes. So looking at it from both the insurance perspective and also just the company perspective for those who are providing the products. So are we asking for 
uh, legislation that somewhere would amend some some provision, or maybe even creating a, a new uh, a new law that says that these kinds of devices need to be accessible. Is this something that can tack on in some way to um, legislation like the CVAA, or how, how will we approach this, or, or do we know yet? We don't fully know, but we have um, me and Eric Bridges, our executive director, um, and some other people have talked about going so far as potentially um, floating around some new language, some drafting of, you know, straight out new legislation that would say that these devices need to be made accessible um, for people who are blind or visually impaired. So it could be something as new, I'm mm -hmm. blinking on the word I'm looking for, but brand new that would say if you develop these types of devices, they have to be accessible for those who are blind or visually impaired. We've also talked about how um, you would broaden that to all kinds of different biomedical devices. Mm -hmm. In 20, the 21st century, we're seeing all kinds of new devices um, we, um, Eric gave the example, he's seen um, blood pressure monitors now that you can buy off of Amazon, so anybody could take their own blood pressure. A lot of them aren't accessible for people who are blind or visually impaired. Um, there's so many new devices that people are using at home that aren't accessible. So we were even talking about with that kind of um, language for legislation that it could encompass not just devices for diabetes, um, but all kinds of biomedical issues. Um, but again, we're really trying to shine light on uh, diabetic glucometers and things like that first and foremost because it's such a huge fraction of the blind community to say, you know, we need companies to make these products accessible and maybe if we're at that point, we have to go so far as to pro uh, propose brand new language and legislation that says these companies need to make their products accessible right out of the box. And for listeners that maybe haven't done the Capitol Hill thing for a while or maybe have never done it, um, some of them may be thinking, well, if you don't know what you want, how can this be an imperative? But this is a really good example of the beginning of an advocacy effort in an area. And sometimes when we are beginning to work on something, um, it gets included as an imperative. And um, I don't know if this is how you'll be heading with this this year or not, but um, there have been times that we've gone up to the hill and we've talked about a topic that doesn't have a specific piece of legislation with it, but we've wanted to make those staffers and uh, those offices aware that this is an issue, begin to educate them. So when the bill comes along when something begins to happen that they can support or we want to get them to ask questions in the right places they already are familiar with a topic they can say oh yes i've i've heard about that um the, exactly. you know the, the blind people have been up here talking about this and yeah i'm familiar with this issue so sometimes we might not be asking for a specific action but we might be educating and and really education is what we're doing on exactly. on capitol hill we're not so much just saying let's pass whatever bill number but our our real purpose there is to educate and make sure they understand that when there's something new or that comes up as a bill 
or there's an amendment why certain points related to those topics are important. Yeah, another thing I would encourage people to do, now you should bring up these issues to all your representatives regardless of what committees they're on because they all mm -hmm. play a part. But That's if you right. want to go as far as to do a little homework and find out what committees your representatives or senators sit on, um, they sit in committees that are topic specific. Um, so if they sit on committees that focus on things like health or those kinds of things, they you know, are really right there on the floor helping to draft legislation or look at legislation that looks at these topics. So again, please talk to them regardless of what committees they're on. But if you can do a little research and find out that, hey, they're on a committee that looks at health issues, that's even better because you can really say, hey, you guys, as you're you know, drafting new legislation or amending legislation or those kinds of things, this is a really key issue you should be looking into. Well, Claire, I think this is going to be an exciting legislative seminar. All three of these imperatives have huge implications for people who are blind and visually impaired. Um, these, these are just excellent choices and excellent efforts that ACB is making on behalf of all blind and visually impaired people. Those three imperatives will touch the lives of every person with low vision in this country. If any one of them comes to uh, fruition, becomes becomes uh, a, a, a law or an amendment to a law, it will touch an enormous number of people. And that's that's what's so great about the things that ACB does is is we're not looking at things that just benefit a, a small group, but and and sometimes we we do have have that kind of thing. But for the most part, the things that ACB does and has done over the years touch people no matter what their walk of life, what their where they live, um, no matter. Uh, what their background or their education or their goals or their interests. They're things that touch us all in one way or another, yeah. and that's what's yeah. in these three imperatives. These definitely touch some of the biggest, you know, low vision, huge, huge fraction of those who lose their sight. Um, diabetes, as we talked about, huge right. fraction. Mm -hmm. um, and then AV, I would argue that's every last one of us, so, yes. yeah. And it's important that what happens in that area not just benefit people that live in big cities or people that live in certain areas, but eventually that that touch people who live in, in, in no matter where you live, it can improve yeah. your ability to get around because yeah. transportation is one of the biggest things that can hold a blind or visually impaired person yeah. back Definitely. from full participation. Well, we really appreciate you taking time to talk with us today, and Definitely. we're really looking forward to seeing you in uh, Virginia at the meetings. You know, just this time last year, you were just coming to ACB. Exactly, yeah. I can't believe it's already been a, almost know. a full year, and I'm excited to I know. be I know. at this legislative seminar. I know. This will be great. Well, thank you so much, and I'll let you get back to working on those imperatives and the, the handouts that we're going to be delivering on Capitol Hill. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Page 3. This information was posted on February 7 on ACB Leadership and is entitled WBU and ACB Announce Results from the First Worldwide Survey on Audio Description Activity. 
The full report for this survey is available on the ACB website at acb.org. The World Blind Union and the American Council of the Blind announced results from the first worldwide survey of audio description activity. A new international survey reveals that audio description, AD, is an important assistive technology worldwide providing access to people who are blind or have low vision to the arts and many other visually rich events. The new international AD survey, 69 countries and the Pacific Disability Forum, finds that 67% of respondents said that AD is available in the respondent's country. Cinema, television, live performing arts, and DVDs lead the list of the type of AD experiences available, followed by museums, the web, smartphones, in educational settings, and in visitor centers. Almost 45% said that AD is required by law. 64% of those respondents reported that it was required for broadcast television. And 99% of respondents said that they believe AD or more AD should be available. The World Blind Union and the American Council of the Blind are longtime supporters of the growth of audio description. Both groups are eager to learn more about the use of audio description by people who are blind or have low vision in its member nations, including some of the barriers to its use. The World Health Organization reports that an estimated 253 million people live with visual impairment. Audio description makes visual information of media and the visual or performing arts in particular more accessible to persons who are blind and visually impaired. For media and in the performing arts, language, carefully crafted and timed, is voiced usually during the natural pauses in a program's original soundtrack. Kim Charlson, president of the American Council of the Blind, emphasizes that cultural activities are an important element of our society, often expressing values, trends, fads, historic perspectives, or future directions. People who are blind or visually impaired want and need to be a part of society in all its aspects. Audio description provides the means for blind or visually impaired people to have full and equal participation in cultural life, accessibility to an event, and the right to be first-class citizens. In short, the ability to contribute to, participate in, and enjoy the treasures that society offers. Jose Vieira, CEO of the World Blind Union, says that Throughout the world, unemployment among people is a significant problem. I am certain that with more meaningful access to our culture and its resources, people become more informed, more engaged with society, and more engaging individuals, thus more employable. Additional information about ACB's audio description project is available at www.acb.org. About the World Blind Union the World Blind Union, WBU, is the internationally recognized organization representing the 253 million blind and partially sighted individuals in 190 member countries. We are the voice of the blind, speaking to governments and international bodies on issues concerning blindness and low vision in conjunction with our members. 
WBU brings together all the major national and international organizations of blind persons and those organizations providing services to people with low vision to work on the issues affecting the quality of life for blind people. Globally, we are divided into six regions, with each region having its own president and volunteer executive team to assist the needs of the local members. For more information about the World Blind Union, contact Jose Vieira, CEO, World Blind Union, 1929 Bayview Avenue, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M4G3E8. The phone is 1-416-486-9698. Email info at wbu.ngo. The following comes to us from Paula Penrod at the Kentucky School for the Blind. The subject of the message is KSB Students Play Selected for Actors Theater 2019 New Voices Young Playwrights Festival. This was received on February 7, 2019. The email says, During the 2017-2018 school year, as part of an ongoing collaboration between the Kentucky School for the Blind and Actors Theater of Louisville, KSB senior Corbin Gravel wrote a 10-minute play entitled A Man of Dance. He entered this play in the New Voices Playwriting Competition hosted by Actors Theater. Corbin's play was selected as a 2019 New Voices Contest winner and will be presented at Actors Theater in April alongside seven other plays written by Kentuckiana teenagers. A Man of Dance was chosen from 836 submissions from students attending 32 different high schools across Kentucky and Indiana. Corbin is the second KSB student to receive this honor. Tickets for the event will be available in April via the Actors Theatre box office or website. And from Kelly Gask on February 6th comes the following. New Emoji represent people with disabilities. Last year, the American Council of the Blind collaborated with Apple to create a set of blindness-related emoji. These emoji have just been approved by the Unicode Consortium, meaning they'll soon be standard across any platforms that choose to support them. New emoji represent people with disabilities, a person with a white cane, an individual sitting in a motorized wheelchair, a prosthetic arm, someone signing the word deaf. These are among the 13 variants of emoji to represent people with disabilities that were proposed last March by Apple to the global organization that adopts standards for emoji. And now that organization, the Unicode Consortium, has added these accessibility-themed characters to the list of forthcoming emoji. Around one in seven people globally has some form of disability, including visual, hearing, and motor impairments. In its proposal in March, Apple said that adding emoji emblematic to users' life experiences helps foster a diverse culture that is inclusive of disability. Emoji are universal language and a powerful tool for communication, as well as a form of self-expression 
and can be used not only to represent one's own personal experience, but also to show support for a loved one. To come up with a proposed emoji, Apple collaborated with such organizations as the American Council of the Blind, the Cerebral Palsy Foundation, and the National Association of the Deaf. In all, 230 new emoji were approved for 2019 by the Unicode Consortium. And finally, this article comes from the Perkins School for the Blind and was posted on February 5. This is an item that was aired on WBUR and is available at WBUR.org. An estimated 100 million people tuned into the Super Bowl on Sunday night. Among them was a group of eight students at the Perkins School for the Blind in Watertown. The annual event provided the kids with an opportunity to put several of their independent living skills to the test. Quote, From the outside world, it might look like you're hosting a Super Bowl party, says Perkins Orientation and Mobility Specialist, Wen Tran Vo. But there's a lot of skills that are involved in that, like learning how to cook and clean. Haley Valente makes quick work of her brownie-making duties. After her classmates pour the mix into a baking dish, Valente deftly navigates the oven and sets it to 350 degrees. The kitchen in this Perkins School for the Blind dormitory is a busy place. In addition to all the cutting, mixing, and baking the students and support staff are doing, they're also calling out to each other when someone is balancing a bowl of salsa on the way to the fridge or moving food in and out of the oven. That's because they all have a visual impairment. And some, like Haley Valente, are blind. On the menu are all the usual football party fixins, hot wings, mozzarella sticks, and pigs in a blanket. Quote, it's my first time planning any party of any kind, says Jordan Sheffer, a student in the College Success Perkins Gap Year program. So it's all new and weird. End of quote. Sheffer is one of the students in charge of planning this party. She's overseen everything from menu planning to invitations. Sheffer says heading up an event like this is out of her comfort zone. But she was glad she could continue what has become a family tradition while she's away from home. Quote, I usually watch the Super Bowl with my family, she explains, even though I'm not usually someone that's extremely into sports. End of quote. Most of Sheffer's classmates are also not big sports fans, but they all see this party as an opportunity to try their hand at more complex skills. Quote, this is a bigger task because it's not just learning how to cook for yourself, but learning how to cook for a party, how to store leftovers, and reflect on how it all went afterward, too, explained Vo. As the TV announcers wrapped up their pregame analysis, the students put the finishing touches on their game day spread. And just like any good hosts, they were relieved. All of the food was hot and good and on the table just before kickoff. APH's Nearby Explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. 
Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Page 4, The Sound Prince Calendar. February 12, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will hold a meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. The speaker will be Chief Deputy Clerk Richard House. He will discuss accessible voting. For information, call 270-684-4418 or contact Cheryl Lott, Savvy President, at 270-686-8689. On February 12, the Savvy Board will hold a meeting at 7 p.m. Central Time on the Zoom conference line at 669-900-6833, intercode 3572-595-193. February 13 is the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The phone number is 605-475-475. 4700, intercode 155619. For more information about the Northern Kentucky Council, call 859-781-7369. On February 13, the KCBPR Membership Committee will hold its meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, dial 669-900-6833 and intercode 3572-595-193. On February 14, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold a support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. This is a great activity for those who have been experiencing vision loss or who have had vision loss for several years. At this meeting will be a presentation about a special new pair of glasses that will be of interest to people who are losing their vision. For more information, Call 502-895-4598. The support group is held at the United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. On February 15, Savvy will have a workshop on basic first aid from 10 a.m. until 12 noon Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Reservations are required. Call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On February 15, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its next roundabout, Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5. The discussion time from 5 to 6 will be led by Melanie Pesco with a presentation about Melaleuca and Healthy Options. Dinner, 6 p.m., followed by games and crafts from 7 until 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598. February 16, Savvy is holding a bowling outing from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. Central at Diamond Lane South in Owensboro. Register by calling 270-684-4418 by noon on February 15. Savvy will pay for rental of up to two lanes. If additional lanes are needed, the $44 per lane cost will be divided equally among participants. Everyone is responsible for shoe rental, $2.50, snacks, etc. 
February 17, the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni will hold its board meeting at 8 p.m. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On February 18, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board will meet at 8 p.m. Call 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. February 21 is a Crossroads Planning Committee meeting. At 7.30 p.m. by phone, call 669-900-6833, enter code 3572-595-193. February 21 is an ACB Next Generation Social Committee call, 9 p.m. By phone, call 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On February 22, the Greater Louisville Council of Blind Roundabout will include education and technology from 3.30 to 5, tip sheet 5 to 5.30, page turners 5.30 p.m., dinner at 6 KCB Next Generation Activities, Games, and Crafts from 7 until 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, to sign up, call 502-895-4598. The Next Generation Activity at this roundabout will be on Echo Tips and Tricks. February 23, ACB Next Generation Saturday Night Live Hangout. 8 p.m. by phone. ACB members and individuals under the age of 40 are invited to join this nationwide Saturday night chat focusing on a designated topic. For more information, call 502-750-1774 or email Amanda Selm at ALSMOOT87 at gmail.com. On February 23 to 26, 2019, is the ACB leadership meetings including the ACB board meeting on February 23, the affiliate president's meeting February 24, legislative seminar and training on February 25, and visit to Capitol Hill on February 26. All activities take place in Alexandria, Virginia at the Crown Plaza Hotel. For more information visit the ACB website at www.acb.org slash 2019-presidents-legislative-meetings. On February 24, ACB families will have a support group meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. On February 25 is a Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana membership call, 7 p.m. by phone at 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On February 25, the Savvy Budget Committee will meet at 8 p.m. Central Time on the Zoom conference line at 669-900-6833, enter code 3572 If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598, or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.